0: That was beautiful. Thank you, Dave. I know you know this. <clears throat> I know you know this, but we're really blessed here. This morning we begin a brand new journey. How many of you like road trips? Every time we're watching Triple D, diners, dive-ins, and dives. And Guy Ferreri shows one of these. Pl- I don't know why it's always at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night when you're already starved by this time because you ate lunch or supper two hours ago. And all of a sudden, you see this amazing restaurant. We'll look at each other and go, road trip, knowing we're probably not going to do that. Or you're watching a Hallmark movie. Don't say a word. (laughs) And you see this breathtaking scene. And we'll look at one another and go, road trip. You know where they're mostly filmed? British Columbia. So we're probably not going to do it in a day or so. And some of those castles you see and some of those love story things, Bucharest, Romania, is where they are. But every time we see one of those, we want to go road trip. We want to take off and see one. A lot of people like new experiences in life, new adventures, don't know where it's going to lead, don't know where it's going to go. A lot of times on a Sunday night we'll take off and go this way or that way and try to see if we can get lost and then find our way back home. Just to be able to see new experiences in life. Now that I've been here for so long, you don't always notice that. You think you kind of know where everything's at. And then every once in a while, you'll find yourself in an unknown place, in an unknown territory. And you wonder, where in the world am I? But there's something unique about that. Now there's a lot of people that love the security of being in one place and always knowing the same things. And others just love the adventure that comes with that. The Christian life is an adventure. Twenty-four years ago, I came here and I played a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, Saddle Up Your Horses, We Got a Trail to Blaze. Most of you don't even know who that is, let alone the song. But believe it or not, he's going to be here for a Christmas concert. And I thought, what are the odds of that, that he would be here? Christianity is such an amazing journey. You don't always know where it's going to lead. You don't know where it's going to take you. You're not sure what changes you're going to make. You're not always sure what you're going to learn. But if you're really honest... Especially for those of us who have come to faith in Christ. A little bit later in life, we wouldn't change it for anything in the world. We don't want to go back to what we used to be. We like where we're at. We like where we're going. Even though we're not always sure of what it's going to entail or what changes it's going to make, we wouldn't ever want to go back. And the final destination, incredible. The writer in Corinthians said, No eye has ever seen, no mind can even conceive. What God has prepared for those who love Him. So even when that Christian adventure isn't always certain as to where we're going to go and when we're going to go and where it's going to lead and what it's going to look like, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt, if we really know Christ and see what He's done in our life, we know we'd never go back. We're incredibly excited about the now and can't even fathom what the future is going to look like. Today we're going to go back in time and Scripture to the Old Testament. Every time I do a new series, I try to do the best I can to do Old Testament new, because I want you to see that they're all applicable. Not just old stories that were someday, somewhere, somewhere tucked back away, but they're just as relevant in many cases as they are when they were written. And so as we have been over the last number of weeks in Galatians, this morning we're going to go back to the Old Testament and stay there for a while, Now we're going to go back and forth a little bit, but I want to begin with a journey. Ours is going to take us to Exodus chapter 20, although don't turn there yet, just get your Bibles out and have it ready in Exodus. We're going to talk a lot about the Ten Commandments. Now, their journey took years and years and years and years. I promise you, ours won't take that long. We'll be done sometime in mid-November. Now, the series is going to concentrate in Exodus on the Ten Commandments. We're also going to talk about how Jesus narrowed them down to two. Love God, I love Mark, because he's the only one that quotes it, I believe, correctly. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to pull that apart, especially that first half. What does it mean to not just love God with all, but what does it mean to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind? Why all four of those? Why not just love God with everything you've got? That would have narrowed it down well. But Jesus was clear in his helping us understand what it really means to have all that we're going to celebrate and share over the next number of weeks literally fleshed out and lived out in our life. Now, I've got to set the stage a little bit. Believe it or not, the story of the Israelites is a lot like our story. The story of the Israelites and our story is a love story. The Bible is a love story. Narrow down the one verse that all of us have quoted at one point or the other. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will have life. Not just life now, but eternal life. And when we look at that, we recognize that it's an incredible love story. We try to narrow it down every once in a while. Not only did God so love the world, God loved you, and God loved you, and God loved you, and God loved you, and God loved me. So much so that if I was the only one, he would send his one and only son. But all the Bible is a love story. The story of the Israelites starts way back at the beginning of time with a man named Abraham who was called a friend of God. Can you imagine being a friend of God? Well, you are. Because when Jesus was near the end of his ministry, he said to his disciples, and I believe he said the same thing to us, I no longer look at you in any other way but to call you what? My friend." We're not just acquaintances. We don't just know one another. I call you a friend. So when I look at a section of Scripture like that, especially when I was a brand-new believer and thought, whoa, how awesome that would be called, to be called a friend of God. and Then I realized when Jesus says the same thing to us and to his disciples, he looks at us and says, you can be my friend, a friend of God. God made a promise to Abraham If he was obedient to God's call and hand on his life, he would bless him in absolutely phenomenal ways. He would bless him with a son and a legacy that would stand the test of time. A son was born. His name was Isaac. He eventually had a son named Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, which is obviously where you can see the analogy coming together. Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was Joseph Joseph even though he was betrayed and abandoned by his brothers, had God's hand all over him. He eventually rose to a prominent position in the land of Egypt, had the opportunity to save his family from a horrible famine as he encouraged them to come to Egypt through foresight, planning, and God's hand all over his life. That, in and of itself, that phrase is a sermon. Through foresight, through planning, and God's hand, amazing things happen, which brings us to Exodus Chapter 1. Yesterday on Phone Tree, I said, bring your Bibles with you. Now I know we have all kinds of things that we use, and that's, that's great. I love the Bible only because I mark it up. It helps me to go through it, kind of flip the pages. So if you have one, bring it. If you also wonder, Phone Tree, I don't even get Phone Tree. All you do is call the office Monday to Friday, give them your name and your phone number, and every Saturday you'll get a call from me. It won't be personal. I have little kids all the time saying, I called and talked to Pastor Denny, but he wouldn't talk back to me. He never even stopped. And we also know those of you who hang up on me. We have records. <laughs> but if you want on that, all you do is call, get your name there, and every Saturday somewhere between 9 and 4, you'll get a phone call telling you what to expect the next day and maybe giving some insights on some things that you need to sign up for and all of that, but it will at least give you a section of Scripture that we're going to be in. I, I've worked on this for a couple of weeks. You're here for 30 minutes, and then you go home. And I want to help you prepare for that. Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Now Joseph, who I just mentioned, all of his brothers, his family, and all that generation died. But the Israelites, the descendants of that, were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, remember I said he rose to prominence, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, Israelites have become far too nor- numerous for us. Come, we've got to deal shrewdly with them or they'll become even more numerous and if war breaks out and joins our enemies, they'll fight against us and leave the country. Do you believe the concern about what was going to happen to the Israelites and the surrounding nations then and now? The story is written three, four, five, maybe thousand years ago. But the inner Friction between the nations in that particular region of the world hasn't changed at all. Now, obviously, even more tense. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them, force them into labor. They built store cities for Pharaoh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, as did many other nations around them, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. And in their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. That lasted for years. Move ahead now to chapter 2, verse 23. Exodus 2, verse 23. During that period of time, and that's an understatement, that period of time was a long period of time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help became because of the slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, it's not like God went, That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. So, when you look at sections of scriptures like that, there's a tendency for us to look at it through our grid as if God one day said, Whoa, wait a minute. I did, wait. I said something to Abraham a long time ago. Better keep that promise. Not at all. But obviously, their cry came up. God heard that. And because of his promise and out of his love, he responded. To the Israelites he sent a man named Moses to rescue them from the hardships and slavery of Egypt if you think about it and go back and read the whole story and then think about your story especially for those of us who maybe have come to faith in Christ a little bit later in life there's a lot of similarities God's love for us in our state of sin caused him to send his son Jesus to rescue us and set us free from our enemy Satan what you sang about this morning or heard saying about in King of Kings is our story. It's their story. So sometimes we look at these Old Testament stories and maybe even read them in the New Testament and forget that it's a part of our story. And I was that one that God rescued. I was that one that God redeemed. I was that one that Jesus died for. I was that one that God so loved that he sent his one and only son. God demonstrated his ways in power in incredible ways. Judgment over Egypt and provision for the people of Israel. He displayed his power above all other gods. So when we get into the Ten Commandments and you hear those phrases over again, you'll know he's setting the stage for that. Displayed his power over all other gods, especially the gods of Egypt, and revealed the fact that he was the one true God. One of the most amazing demonstrations of God's power was his deliverance through the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army. One of the most well-known Old Testament stories. Finally, the Pharaoh, after all the plagues, said, all right, out of here. Go worship your God and let him go. Moses packed them all up. Plagues were done. They're headed. Come to the Red Sea. No way they're going to be able to get through it. The Israelites, who had been crying to God for centuries and generations, said, okay, we would have been better off in Egypt. No, you wouldn't have. You already said you weren't but you're going to bring us out here to die. And God demonstrated his power in amazing ways in part of the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked all the way through it. Egyptians running after them, come to the edge of it, go through the middle of it. God put the waters back and destroyed the army. The story has been debunked, the myth, from a lot of people in a number of ways. One of them was a professor named Rudolph Boltman, saying, well, it really wasn't like that The water was only about a foot deep, a wind came along, blew the water back, and everyone walked through. One little girl who was sitting in a class said, you know what, there's even a greater miracle than that, that God would have drowned the entire Egyptian army in a foot of water. (laughs) As it was written, it is true. We start to misbelieve some of these Old Testament stories, sometimes we're on dangerous ground. Because then we become the ones that pick and choose what we like and what we don't like, what we believe and what we don't believe. It's referred to over and over again in Scripture as one of the most monumental events in the history of the Israelites. Their story has some incredible symbolism to our stories as well and our salvation experience. Think back to when you came to faith in Christ. Think back, you there? Think back to when you came to faith in Christ. Just like the Egyptians were chasing after the Israelites, so is the enemy chasing after you because he doesn't want you to go forward with Christ. He doesn't want your life changed. He wants to keep you where you were. He wants to keep you under his bondage. And just when you come closer and closer to accepting and embracing Jesus as Savior, he pulls out all the stops to try to get you back. You find yourself at the edge of the most amazing, incredible, life-changing decision you'll ever have. Do I get in, do I go back, or do I go forward? Not sure where it's going to go, not sure what it's going to look like, not sure where it's going to take me. I know I'm going to have to trust God in the middle of all of that, even though I don't fully understand Him. I've got to step into the unknown and completely surrender to Him, or am I going to go back to my old way of life? It's a defining moment in our life. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. Maybe you came to faith in Christ when you were six or seven or four, which is unbelievably awesome. But if you're one who came to faith in Christ a little bit later in life, you may remember that journey and that moment in time when you decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. When we do baptism services, they're symbolisms of what we're talking about here in this particular context. We give every one of them a T-shirt that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. What I love about that, the chorus has been around since I was a young person. I have decided to follow Jesus, what? No turning back. And in that moment, they're celebrating what God has done in their life. They recognize they were standing at that moment in time where they had one of the most major, ultimately life-changing, life-transforming, eternity-transforming decisions. Do I stay where I am Do I go back to what I used to be, or do I absolutely make a commitment right now to follow Jesus? No turning back. I'm going His way. I'm not sure where it's going to lead me. I'm not sure what I'm going to learn. I'm not sure what I have to change, but I'm not going back to what I used to be. And that moment of baptism is that celebration of that very journey. Don't ever think of it as, well, it's the next step I'm supposed to take, or it's something I should do, or is my hair going to get wet? Will I ever look? None of that. It is an amazing illustration of what God's done in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about that Red Sea experience and talks about our baptism experience. I leave behind my old way of life. The bondage of slavery is broken. I trust God completely. I walk through the waters of baptism, and I walk into a new life that He's made for me. On December the 1st, we're going to celebrate a baptism here on a Sunday morning. Every so often we do them at different times and different ways. A couple years, we've been doing it at the first Sunday of the year, which is a great way to start a new life. This year, it's going to be on Thanksgiving weekend, which is a great way to celebrate what God has done in our life. If you've never been baptized, you know Jesus as your Savior, you know for sure that you've committed your life to Him, you've never followed the next step, man, what a great Sunday to celebrate that very fact. Exactly what we're talking about here in this particular context. You're going to see a sign-up sheet. You can call the office. It's just a great way. To celebrate what God's done in your life. Now, the Red Sea experience was a reminder that Satan also is gonna be on their heels and ours, even after we come to faith in Christ. I I grew up in YFC, Campus Life, also Campus Crusade. There was a phrase they used all the time. Remember what it was? Do you know God loves you and what? You don't remember that? Do you know God loves you and has a plan for your life? That's the phrase they constantly use. That's how they try to get people to ask them questions about spiritual things. Well, God loves you and has a plan for your life. I also want you to know that Satan hates you and has a plan to destroy you. Peter very clearly tells that. What you see here in the Old Testament is a symbol of that. He wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you from fully surrendering your life to Christ. Now, God demonstrated his power over the enemy. He rescued them. He delivered them. He took them through the water into a brand new life. In that, they rejoiced. Exodus chapter 15. You're moving along pretty quick as we go. Then Moses and the Israelites sang a song. They worshiped. They recognized what God did. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will praise Him. Your right hand, Lord, your majesty, and, your majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Who among the gods is like you? Remember what he's going to say in the Ten Commandments? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed your enemies. In your unfailing love, you'll lead the people you've redeemed. In your unfailing love, you redeem me, you, you. In your strength, you will guide me into your holy dwelling. The Lord reigns forever and ever. The people of God rejoiced over salvation and what God had done for them in this particular moment. And every single Sunday when we celebrate baptism, we tell people, rejoice. This is not a solemn experience where you're supposed to be quiet. Now, we always, we, I, I don't always do it. I heard other pastors do it. Well, you yell at the Steelers game. You ought to celebrate here, although there's not much to yell about lately. But you yell, Unless you watched the pit game yesterday. You celebrated a kind of moment like that. Celebrate when people get baptized because they are demonstrating what they did. What Satan was trying to do, what God has done, how he rescued them, redeemed them, set them free, and are on a new journey in life. So sing, celebrate what God has done. The Israelites trusted God, moved through the Red Sea into a new life, and now they find themselves in a whole new place where they need to learn to live again. As a matter of fact, God had a plan for them, To continue to live freely in this new freedom. The plan was called the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 is one of the most magnificent expressions of God's heart for his people. We're most familiar with it because it contains the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The Decalogue. Deca means ten. Logos means words. Ten great words for life. Delivered to, and it's important to understand this. Delivered to His already redeemed. Purchased for himself by the blood of the Lamb. Literally, people designed to show them how to live and flourish in the freedom and deliverance he's already brought them to any of you wonder why this is here this morning how long you've been wondering and not going to ask you're probably thinking well we don't want the worship team members to fall off the edge anymore so we want to put up a barrier so they don't what is this called what is it called guy yeah you all said the same things how many think it's called a guide rail how many think it's called a guardrail? It's actually called now a guide rail. Even though I still call it a guardrail. Because supposedly at some point or the other it didn't guard someone from driving over a cliff. So now they have to be politically correct and call it a guide rail. I know. I know. True story. I wouldn't make that up. I, <laughs> I call it a guide rail. Either way, guide rail, guardrail, either way, you're right. All right? What is it supposed to do? Protect Protect you from what? Going over the edge. What else is it supposed to do? Keep you on the right path. Guide you on the right path. Every time you now see one of those, and you're going to see them all the time now because I just pointed it out. Every time you see one of these, I want you to think, wow, God has given me a path to follow. God has given me his word to guide me. God has given me direction. He doesn't want me just floundering through life, driving here and there on my own, wondering if I'm ever going to fall over the edge. He's actually given me protection to not only guide me, but to keep me from falling off the cliff and destroying my life. So often we see God as restrictive. God is that, especially when you read it in the context of the Ten Commandments, where God reaching down from heaven with a real mean face, like that teacher that none of us liked in high school, saying, thou shalt not. Not at all what God was doing. God said, do you have any idea how much I love you? Do you have any idea how concerned I am about you? Do you have any idea how I know if I leave you on your own, you'll follow your own path and you'll go over the edge? But I'm giving you direction. I'm giving you guidance. I'm giving you my word. So that every time you see one of these, you'll say, God, thank you for giving me direction, for keeping me on the right path. For giving me guidance, for not wanting me to fall over the edge and destroy my life. So that you put some barriers and some boundaries in my life. These words of God invite us to an incredible life. A great adventure and a great life. Now some say, well, the Ten Commandments no longer apply. They'll recite scriptures like this. New believers may not even care, not even know, but others will. They'll say things like, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. The law has no bearing on our lives. They'll quote another scripture that said, Christ redeemed us from the law, so the law is set aside. If righteousness comes from performing the law, then Christ died needlessly. Paul said the same thing. and All of that is absolutely true. Performing of the law has absolutely no power to save or redeem anyone. The gospel that we sang about this morning, we have been saved by Grace. Through faith, not of ourselves, lest anyone, should boast. It is a gift from God. The problem is, because we've been saved by grace and not the law, some will say, well, the law has no benefit at all. They'll almost see it as optional. When God says, not at all. You are free, but I'm giving you some boundaries and barriers because I don't want you to go in a direction that will destroy your life. I want to keep you on the right path. The frightening results of people who claim to be Christians... And think they can live and act no differently than anyone around them. Live like it really doesn't matter. I want to say this as lovingly but as firmly as I know how. You are in very dangerous territory. Think I can do whatever I want. I said a prayer, raised my hand, signed a card. Do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. I'll live the way I want. Do the things I want. I'm really no different than the people around me. That's very dangerous territory to be in. The law of God was given to Moses was never as a means to secure redemption. It was given so that we understand God's love for us. And how he wants to keep us on the right path and move us in the right direction. It was given to people already possessed by God as a gift. A resource to help them know how to live in the freedom they already have. Exodus chapter 20 verse 2. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the life of slavery. God reminds them of who he is, reminds them of what he's done, reminds them of what they have done now and what they are now. Paul said the same thing. He says to his readers all the way through the New Testament, I just want to tell you one more time who God is. I want to tell you one more time what God has done. I want to tell you one more time how to live the life God is calling you to do now. You see, in light of all that God has done, this is how I want you to live. Grace redeems you. It's the only thing that can. Grace delivers you. It provides you everything you need. It gives you a price. It gives you a way. It pays the bondage. But Paul said you need to know that the grace that redeemed you, delivered you, and healed you is now calling you to live in a different way, consistent with the freedom that you now have. And for heaven's sakes, don't ever take advantage of that grace. Thinking, well, as long as I go to confession, as long as I come to God, as long as I say I'm sorry, it really doesn't matter. Don't ever take advantage of that amazing grace and think, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. I did this. I said that. Not at all. I am not going to ever try to cause you to doubt your salvation in any way at all. I am just saying, dangerous territory to think we can do whatever we want, live in any way we want, and it really doesn't matter about the consequences because we know and understand God's grace. The first chapter of the entire book of Romans is a declaration expanded out in 11 chapters of what I just said. You remember what you were? He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And he describes it over and over again, what God did and what God provided. And then he comes to chapter 12, verse 1. I'm begging you. I'm really begging you, in light of everything that God has done, would you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable response to what he did. Don't, 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 don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't go your own way. Do your own thing. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. The law of God was never given to people who were in slavery as a way to get out of slavery. It has no power to do that. It only can condemn. These great words of life were given to people already possessed by God as a gift, a resource to help them to learn how to continually live in the freedom they already have. You want to know how to live free and not be drawn back to that slavery again? Here's how God says, put me first. Just put me first. Jesus said the same thing, seeking first the kingdom of God, everything else lines up underneath that. You want to know how to live free and not be drawn back into slavery? Put me first, accept no substitutes. Revere my name. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me of what it would be like to be among a people who more than anything else desire to put God's first and accept no substitutes. We'll not do it perfectly, but more than anything else, our deepest desire is to put God first. Not to make Him fit into our image, but for us to fit into His. What would it be like to be among a people whose agenda or even the direction of a church was not determined by the latest fad, current trends, cultural shifts, or what people thought would be important or some crazy pastor would lead them in that direction, but to be among a people whose lives are being directed by the very breath, voice, hand, and heart of God? What would it be like? Put God first and accept no substitute, and I will give you the kingdom. Think about it. What would it be like to be in a place where the name of God was revealed, not just spoken, but where people stood or sat and sang and prayed in awe of who God is? Now, maybe you did that this morning. Maybe when you sang, or you saw the words on the screen, or you're listening to the music. Maybe you were in awe of who God was. But what would it be like If when we gathered on a Sunday morning, and it doesn't matter to me whether you sit or stand, but what would it be like to gather on a Sunday morning to know that all of us were just in awe? I get to sing with the people of God, and I get to give praises. I get to join with the angels and the saints of God down through the ages, from every tribe and every language and every tongue, and give God praise. They won't any longer just be words on a screen. It won't be, well, I don't like that song. I don't like that tune. I don't like that. It doesn't matter. It no longer will be any of that. I will just enjoy being in the presence of God. And if I don't know the song, I'll just listen to the people who do. Imagine with me what it's going to be like when that day is going to come, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We get to do a part of that now. Imagine with me what it would be like to be in a place where people didn't lie, they didn't gossip, they didn't bear false witness. What would it be like in a place where we didn't kill? And we don't do that with bullets or guns, but we can do it with words. Think with me for a moment. What would it be like to be in a place where a husband and wife didn't have to wonder if their mate would be faithful or wish they were with someone else? What would that be like? Man, they say, you're living in a dream world. Who would have that? Where will that be? You're saying that would feel like heaven, right? Exactly, because that's exactly what Jesus prayed for when he said, Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Not someday down there far away when I finally get to heaven. God, I pray that your will is done on earth like it is in heaven. Where people really will Love and care and be concerned and keep their promise and keep their commitment and recognize the awesome wonder of being in the presence of Almighty God. This is the call to kingdom living. It's not restrictive. It's it's guidelines for a great life. A way to keep us on the right path. A way to keep us from going over. Boundaries to keep us from falling apart. We're made for this. That's what we're created for. He redeemed us, he delivered us, he satisfies us, and now he says, I want you to be everything you can fully be. How? Put me first. Accept no substitutes, revere my name, observe my day, honor your parents, be devoted to your mate, be honest, respect life, and as you do, you'll experience the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The only way to walk in this kingdom lifestyle is to begin or we'll begin next Sunday morning. Put God first. It's exactly what this series is all about. And every time you see one of these, don't run into it. (laughs) Just say, God, thank you for giving me direction. Thank you for putting me on the right path, for keeping me on the right path by guidance and direction from your word. Thank you for giving me boundaries in my life that if I apply them, I won't go over the edge. But I'll stay solid and committed till I see you face to face. Hope you'll join us for this series all the way through. God, your word is powerful. It's profound. It's life-changing from beginning to end. Not just a few books that we look at back in some day and wonder how they apply. A lot of things that don't make sense. A lot of things that obviously won't. But there are some incredibly wonderful things you have taught us in your word. Thank you for preserving it, that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word never will. And so in these weeks, as we explore and unpack the direction and guidance that you've given us, help us to not just see them as restrictive or keep us from having fun, but to give us life and able to live it to the fullest with the boundaries that you've provided and the direction you've given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. I can pray for you. We'd love to do that. Otherwise, see you next Sunday morning.